A couple people and then you can have a seat. Great. Well, continuing in our study in the book of Romans, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. One of my favorite chapters in Romans. And uh, moving through this book, another few weeks we'll be through it and figure out what to do next. But I'm enjoying this study in Romans as I am the Ephesians study on Sundays. Chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul kind of specifically was addressing the whole situation of Israel. Now he kind of carries it back and begins to wind down kind of his discussion in the rest of the book about how to live our lives. And all of that is prefaced here in the beginning of chapter 12 as he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There is so much in that verse that we could almost just spend the next couple weeks there. You know, he, he says, I beseech you. Um, this is something that, as Paul loves these people, the Roman Christians, you know, he really wants them to experience everything that God has for them. And he's, he's begging them to do, to, to rise to the level of commitment that will allow them to really find out what it is to be a Christian. And it, it's so sad when you see people living beneath the level that God really has for them. Being, nothing is more miserable than being kind of a half-hearted, mediocre Christian. Because you don't really receive the benefits of full dedication to him. But basically what you do get is enough of the truth that you feel really guilty about how you're living. So like it's even life is worse than it was before you were a Christian. Because you're kind of doing the same stuff, you're just feeling bad about it where before you were a Christian, you weren't. And it's kind of an endless cycle because remember, and it's so important to always keep this in mind, everything that God has to say about sin, it, none of it is to clean us up so we look good. None of it is to make him feel better. None of it is to make us collectively as a church to appear to be anything different. God's sole motivation in saving us from sin, other than that nasty eternity in hell, is the fact that our sins are what's messing us up. Everything that's wrong with our life, everything that leads us to, to misery, is all a result of our sin. And not that God is punishing us for our sin, that's what sin is. Sin is, almost by definition, self-punishment, self-destruction. Now, you don't think of it as that way because in our minds, we think we're doing 
what we want to do. But what we, what we forget is that damage that was done in us because of being related to Adam and because of the fall. And I suspect it's some sort of genetic mess up that happened from, from Adam and Eve eating that fruit and it did some genetic alteration to the race and probably that's passed down through the male uh, chromosome somehow. But Bible seems to indicate as sin, and a lot of times people don't get this, well, how could sin enter the world through Adam? Well, why would eating a fruit that you're forbidden to eat do it? And a lot of times we ignore the obvious thing that perhaps there's a perfectly natural explanation that there was something in that fruit that actually damaged us. Now, that's just a theory. Whether that's true or not, you got to admit something's wrong with us. We just keep wanting to do stupid things. And usually the stupid things that we do don't benefit us at all. We just, we do it, we see the results of it, it's very clear, and yet we still want to do it. We can't stop killing ourselves. And Paul's heart was for them to change for that explicit reason. Remember, this is somebody, Paul cared deeply about people. You know, we'll... Chapter 9 is he's talking about Israel and saying, if I could get them saved, I would go to hell myself so that they could be saved. This is a guy who's passionate for other people. And so as he is appealing to us to change the way that we're living, he's saying, I beseech you. And then he says, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you look back and see what it's there for. On the basis of everything that he's been saying on the basis of all of this doctrinal truth, on the basis of God's eternal plan, on that, uh, because of everything that he has done for us, he's saying, on that basis, I'm begging you, beseech you, therefore. And, and, and then he says, brethren. He isn't talking to people who don't know the Lord, who don't love the Lord, he, he, and, and sometimes we, we think of this as he's trying to get, get us saved. But no, he's going, you're saved, but you're still messed up. You're saved, but you're still hurting yourself. And I'm appealing to you on the basis of what God has done. But I'm appealing to you as brothers, and I'm begging you, please. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God according to what he has done for us. It's not, you ought to feel guilty about what you're doing because of all that he has done for us. But it's the idea that his mercy declares a fresh start to us. His mercy says, we don't have to keep living the way that we were living. There is a way out. There is hope for us. And sometimes we don't feel like there is, even as Christians. And we... And, and usually what happens, here's the pattern, you want to do better. You realize that you're not getting anywhere living the way you are, and so you try to reform, try to do better. And, you know, you do better for a while, and things actually go better in your life, and you're thinking, hey, I'm on a roll, this is good. But then in a weak moment, and so often, because we don't even understand why we want to do the things that we do, it's, it's sin, just, it's just that. But 
as a, as a result of not knowing it, we're not prepared for the fact that some of the same factors that caused us to be stupid before are going to make us continue to be stupid now. And so there we are, repeating the same patterns. And then you get frustrated because you failed again. And then what happens when you fail? You feel like somehow now I'm a long ways from God. I, you know, because in our heads somehow we think that we can earn righteousness. And that's why he takes so much time to talk about God's grace and mercy. Because the key to having victory over sin is not to never sin again. Because if you could do that even for a week, you'd get so prideful it would destroy you. So we're going to sin. We're going to fail. But the real trick to it is to understand God's mercy immediately so that we can immediately repent and turn around, confess our sins, so that we don't fall into the, the habit of doing it. You know, there are a lot of things that are bad for you, but if you hardly ever do them, they're not going to be that destructive in your life. Um, but almost anything that's bad for you is terrible for you if you establish a pattern. That's why in 1 John, is, John is talking about the difference between people who are walking in light and walking in darkness. The whole emphasis is the pattern of your life. Now, again, you don't give yourself permission to go, okay, I get a mulligan every week on certain sins. But at the same time, you have to recognize just because you repent, it's going to come back. It's going to haunt you. Maybe you won't do it again. Maybe you'll, like most of us, find some other way to mess your life up other than that one that's been tripping you up. But we're going to fail. And understanding the mercy of God is so important. And it's really amazing. Not only will having God's mercy in my face cause me to not spiral downhill when I mess up, but having his mercy in my face is going to keep me from even taking that first step. Mercy is a much better controlling factor determining motivation, however you want to look at it, it's the best appeal to help us to live a higher level of life is to realize how good God is. And Satan wants to do just the opposite. So when we mess up, he piles condemnation on us. The Lord says, we've seen it earlier in the book, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So condemnation isn't coming from him. But the enemy wants to bombard us because he knows if, if we feel like, oh man, I did it again, I, you know, and then you get bummed and depressed and you just spiral. So the mercy will interrupt that flow. But even more than that, it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance in the first place. If I, I wouldn't do nearly as many bad things. I wouldn't sin nearly as much if I was constantly focused on God's mercy. If I was constantly thinking about 
all that he has done for me and setting me free and forgiving me and loving me when I was so unlovable. And so the mercies of God, that, that's the key. That's what we have to focus on. That's our motivation. That should be what is before our eyes all the time. God's mercies that are new every morning. I don't care what kind of a day you had today. Tomorrow, you start fresh. His mercies are new. Accept his mercy. We think, and often people won't preach the truth about the grace and mercy of God because they're scared to death that if you tell people that, that they're just going to go, oh, great, I can do whatever I want, cool, and that we'll sin. The truth is, you're going to sin way more when you're trying to be good than you will when you stop trying to be good and you start appreciating what he has already done for you. I know it seems backwards, but the truth is, everything that God does seems backwards to us. And it just happens to be because we're standing on our heads. That's what sin does to us. So the whole thing of what God does looks weird because he's the one who's right side up. And so by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifices are a problem. They keep jumping off the altar. You know, they have a mind of their own, a will of their own. But that's why he's saying, focus on his mercy on the basis of what he's done for you now put your body on the line. Now present your body. Offer yourself to him. Lay it on the altar. What are, you, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? I've said this often, but it bears repeating, I think. The biggest decision that any of us has to make is the decision of what are you willing to do for God, if he tells you that he wants you to do it? You know, what, what is it that you will say, okay, God, if you want me to do that, I'll do it? We usually think, well, I don't know what God's will is. But, and sometimes that's true. Often we know exactly what his will is, and we just don't want to do it. But sometimes we haven't even gotten to the point yet where we would be willing to do what he wants us to do anyhow, so why should he give us a clear indication of his will and his calling if we wouldn't do it anyway and it's just going to pile more defeat in our lives if God tells us clearly what to do? So in some ways we prefer and in some ways maybe God mercifully allows us to just stay in our foggy state of lack of awareness because we haven't resolved that issue. Boy, for every one of us, the key to life is, ultimately it comes down to this. Would you be willing to do anything that God told you to do if you knew that it was God telling you to do it? Because if you wouldn't, if there are things that you just won't do, then you will never experience a victorious Christian life. Now, don't worry. If you, if you present yourself as a sacrifice, he's... The only thing he's ever going to ask you to do is stuff that will be the greatest decisions that you could ever make. You'll have the greatest life you could ever have. He will set you free in ways you could never imagine. But it only happens when you let go 
of control, when you will, you know, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him, it's a huge step of trust to believe that God only wants your best. And so will I give up my will and hand it over to him? That's the one question that each of us has to wrestle with and sometimes repeatedly ask ourselves, would you really do whatever he told you to do? And I think when you're in, in your life, you're trying to make a tough decision, you should right away think of every possible option and then say, w- am I willing to do that? Well, I don't know if God wants me to do it. Yeah, but are you willing to? Then, you know, like you hear of an opportunity for, say, a missions trip that's coming up. You've been kind of feeling like, man, it would be great to go on a missions trip, but, you know, I don't know, with the economy, it costs a lot, and I'm afraid it's just a bunch of weird people will go, and it'll be, it'll be not fun at all, and, you know, I'll get some disease or something. So if there's even a, an inkling in your head of, I don't think I'd want to do that, it's worth saying, okay, would you be willing to do it if God really wanted you to do it? Now, that means, would you be willing to pay the money that it would take to do it? Would you be willing to get dingy fever if you go and you're going to then be laid up sick for a while? At what point do you come to a line where you say, no, if God, if God wants me to do that, no, I wouldn't do it. Then you know what? Sorry, he would say, you're not worthy. You're not ready. It takes either a full commitment. He he doesn't say, you know, come and lay your left arm and a bunch of your old clothes on the altar. A bunch of stuff that you want to get rid of anyway. The, The altar of sacrifice is not the stuff you donate to Mexico, okay? It's, it's you. It's everything that you are. It's all of us. It's everything that we have. And the decision to want to do that is what will absolutely open your life up to an entirely new dimension of living, walking in the Spirit. Most Christians probably will never get there because they're just not willing to take that chance of trusting God and saying, God, I will do anything that you want me to do. Or some of us will say it, and then we go back on our promise, we jump off the altar or whatever. So uh, this isn't like a one-time decision. There's a lot of opportunities every day to remind yourself of this commitment. But life as a Christian, life as a human, isn't worth living unless you will let him call the shots. Because you have to recognize you're not good at this. You have to recognize that your gut feeling is what gets you messed up. It's what gets you in trouble. And at some point, you know, there's some people who, you know, they make so many bad decisions. I know people who, I mean, really want to do what God wants them to do, and they keep hearing God telling them to do something and it doesn't work out. God tells them to do something else, doesn't work out. God tells them, you know, and they just get deeper and deeper in a hole 
And there are some people I've told them, you know, I love the fact that you're willing to do whatever God tells you to do. I don't think you're really good at hearing his voice right now. So why don't you get a couple other people to kind of bounce it off of and see if they confirm that it's God's will. But the truth is, to become a follower of Jesus Christ means that you recognize you're not good at calling your own shot. You're just not good at that. And so if you're not good at it, what do you have to lose to let him give him the opportunity to do it? The beautiful thing is when you give him that opportunity, he sets you free, and you'll end up, when you follow him, he may call you to do something that you wouldn't think you would ever want to do, and then you do it and you go, this is what's been missing in my life. This is absolutely, I've never felt so alive, I've never felt so free, I've never felt so blessed in all of my life. And all the times I was trying to feel alive and feel free and feel blessed, it always left me empty. And when I finally just started doing it his way and letting him, just by telling me, just by telling him I'm willing, I'm laying my body on the altar, then it opens the door to discovering really what life is about. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, that is, set apart, acceptable to God. (laughs) Now, you might look in the mirror at your body and go, I don't know if this is acceptable to anyone. (laughs) Certainly not acceptable to me right now. You know, most of us, you know, We'd like to look in a mirror, but we'd wish it was a funhouse mirror that would kind of alter things a little bit, you know. Or we look in a regular mirror and go, this looks like a funhouse mirror. What happened to me? And you can try all kinds of things to get the right body. And, you know, I mean, if you want, you can, for a while, lipo it and everything else and enough surgery and everything. And you can really get a pretty a body that would be acceptable to a lot of people. Maybe you're blessed and you already have that body. But here's the thing. Just the way you are, not sucking in your stomach or anything else, just totally the way you are, when you go, God, here I am, that's acceptable to him. He says, you're exactly who I want. And that is so freeing. When you know, you can just see the looks of disapproval on other people's faces when you are yourself, and you're just being honest, and they're going, could you fake it a little bit? <laughs> you know. And God sees us, and he says, you're acceptable to me. I died for you. You're holy to me. This is what I've been wanting. I, I just want you. I want you just the way you are. Why do you want to spend the rest of your life trying to be something you're not? And if God wants you to be something different, he'll change you effortlessly but how about why not start with the one who says i accept you there are people who will try to accept you there are people who will say they accept you in order to manipulate you or whatever but god's the one who really looks at you right where you are he sees your sin he sees your failure he knows what you've done that got you where you are today There isn't anything about you that he doesn't know intimately. Nothing about you shocks him. Nothing about you disgusts him. Nothing about you causes him to question whether he really wants 
to be in fellowship with you, when you show up and you offer yourself, that's acceptable to him. And I'll tell you what, on the altar of offering your body to him, that may be the only place you ever find real acceptance when it comes down to it. Unconditional love. That's where it is. And it comes when we say, I'm yours. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's just the normal thing. It's so reasonable. There's no reason not to do it. That word also could be translated because the word service is also translated worship. And probably a better translation would be, you know, you're acceptable to God as an acceptable, as a, as a sacrifice that he finds worshipful to him. The best, you know, it's great to worship God with songs. It's great to worship God with our prayers. It's great to worship God in every way that we can find, but the deepest worship that will ever impress God for many of us is when we just show up and say, I want you to call the shots, God. I am laying myself on the altar as a living sacrifice. And then he continues and kind of a flip side of it in a way says and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in other words presenting your body as a living sacrifice the alternative to that is to just go the way everybody else is going be conformed to the world following your heart, doing whatever seems right to you in your own eyes, flying by the seat of your pants, living by your gut. You can do that. A whole lot of people will tell you that's the best thing you could ever do. Um, The truth is, that's going to get you where it gets everyone else. It really doesn't work. It might seem to work for a while. But the decision to present yourself to him is a decision that says, I want change. Not the kind of change that politicians promise us. So far, how do you like how that's working out? But, <laughs> but at the same time, we need to be changed. I mean, and, and that's why people will, in a, in a completely irrational way, will vote for anyone who promises change because like, yeah, we sure need change, but I didn't realize it can, change can be for the worse. As I said before, I didn't realize that meant he was just going to leave me with a handful of change. That was all that was going to be left. But but you come to Christ because you want change. You want to be transformed. So you present yourself, and he says, the alternative to that is to go the way of the world. Just do what everybody else does. Just do what seems popular. Just do what seems like a good idea to you at the time. But he said, it's a radical step to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. But when you do that, instead of being conformed to the world, you will be transformed. And it starts with your head. 
starts with your mind. The reason we don't live right is because we're not thinking right. There are, are, there's something damaged in our logical thought processes. Most of the things that we do that are sinful, we don't contemplate it very long or we probably wouldn't do it. But, you know, it comes into your head and it just seems like a good idea at the time. You know, you read about these, you know, guys who, I, I love reading about criminals that aren't very smart. Most people who live a life of crime aren't very smart, but, you know, there was a criminal that tried to throw a brick through a store window in order to steal some beer. And he gets this big brick and turned out the window was plexiglass. Throws the brick really hard and it bounces off the plexiglass, hits him in the head and knocks him out. And Of course, they arrested him. <laughs> but isn't that the way we live sometimes? And somehow, I mean, in one way or another, we're, aren't we knocking ourselves out? And here's the Lord saying, I can change that, but you're going to have to start thinking differently. We're going to have to get you before the brick is flying through the air. And when you start thinking about picking it up, let me get in your head a little bit, and maybe we can come up with a better solution. Maybe we can come up with another way of doing things. And, and reading the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures and spending time with God in fellowship with him is a transformative process in renewing our minds. You know, it's called renewing the mind because sin is what damages your thought processes. You know, you form bad habits. You program bad things into your mind. You garbage in all day long, and as a result... So much of what's in there is polluted and it destroys your judgment and keeps you from being able to think straight. So here what God promises is if you present yourself to him, he'll change your life by changing your mind, by getting it cleaned out and fresh and giving you a new start. See, the thing I love about this is God doesn't just, see, the law just tells you don't do what you want to do. There's a great, sometime I'll bring it to church and play it, but there's a great YouTube, one of my favorites, that's, it's a clip from some TV show where Bob Newhart was on there and he was playing the part of a psychologist. And this girl comes to him and, and he, says, he says, okay, look, I have a, um, a policy that I will give you counseling for five minutes and it's $5. You have to pay the whole $5 whether you use the whole five minutes or not but I'll solve your problems for you. And she goes, wow, okay. And he goes, well, so I don't take a check and you have to pay in advance. So she gives him $5 and then she starts telling her story for like two minutes and she's just doing some dumb things in her life. I forget what they all are, but he goes, okay, is that it? And she goes, well, yeah, how are you going to fix this? And he said, okay, I've got two words. And she goes, okay, should I write this down? He goes, yeah, you could write it down. Most people remember it, though. But, so she's ready, and, and she goes, okay, what are the two words that are going to fix my life? He goes, stop it! <laughs> and she goes, that's it? Yeah, stop doing that. She goes, well, I have three minutes left. He goes, okay, what other problems do you have? 
well, I date men that take advantage of me and everything. He goes, okay, stop it. <laughs> and that was his answer to everything. That's the law. I mean, you can do that to yourself. Anyone can just go, oh, if I stop, you know, like, hey, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that anymore. You know, anybody can tell you, well, okay, what you're doing is hurting you, so stop doing what you're doing. But the trouble is, we don't know why we do what we do, and we don't have that understanding, and we're fighting against the urge all the time. I mean, so that even, like, let's say you're trying to eat more healthy. That's always a safe assumption in a group this size. I'm sure many of us struggle with this, and it's a little less personal than some other sins of the flesh. But they're all the same. They're all, they all work the same. So I'll use the metaphor of food, and you can plug in whatever your problem is. But, <laughs> you know, you go, somebody has a, you know, a piece of pie there, and it looks really good. And you're like, no. I know I'm way over my calories for the day already, and I, I don't care. They can say, claim it sugar-free and fat-free, and, you know, but I'm not going to do it. Do you feel good after you turn the pie down? Sure. For about five minutes, maybe. Maybe for 30 seconds. Then the whole rest of the night, you're like, oh man, I should have taken advantage of that opportunity while I had it. There are some people who even wisely avoid a relationship with someone that they know is bad and spend the rest of their life wishing they had tr given it a shot, you know? And it's like, we're fighting against that which is our internal urge. And that's a tough way to live, just by sheer willpower. But that's the way most people try to be good. What God wants to do is, as we turn our lives over to Him, He renews our mind. He causes us actually to see that pie for what it really is, and that we're, you know, we don't want it. And you know the difference. You see people, anytime somebody brings out good food, well, good you know, good meaning desirable. There are some people who turn it down, and you can just tell it's, you know, they're, it's not a big battle for them. I don't know. They probably ate, ate the rest of the pie beforehand. I don't know, but, <laughs> or a whole bunch of other stuff. But, you know, then there are some people who, no, I don't think. I, well, no ice cream on mine. Uh, can you make it smaller? No, this is as small as it comes. Well, maybe I'll just eat part of it and... Maybe I'll just eat all the insides and, ooh, that crust is pretty good. You know, you can tell the difference. And living your life like that with every opportunity to mess your life up is a miserable way to do it. Now, I haven't figured out yet how to have this total victory where I just don't want to eat things that aren't good for me. I, you know, if I knew that Jesus was coming back in an hour... I'd be on my way to a big bowl of ice cream or something, you know. And I'd buy it with a credit card. That way I'd never have to pay for it. But, but what God wants to do inside of us is to change what we want. Is actually to help us to have some insight to where we see the end we recognize the process, even we begin to get some insight into 
why we do what we do. Because our, our mind is renewed and we can start to think clearly about it. And when that happens, then change naturally occurs without a big struggle, without a big battle. It was interesting. You guys know, I've, I mean, I've, I've read tons of books on organizing your life, and, and they all lead toward me cleaning things up, and then you know, it's back to a big mess again. But it was interesting, a week or two ago, I picked up this book in the airport and just you know, decided to read it. And it was on, you know, organizing your life and all. And I just thought, you know, if I can't clean my office, I can at least feel guilty about it. So bought another book. But this was different than any other book I've read on the subject because it went into getting you to think about why you do what you do. And it really, I'm not a big one for getting, you know, poking around inside somebody's head too much. But it was a different enough approach that, it, I'm, I'm seeing some natural changes happening in my life since I read it that I'm not working hard at and it's not killing me and I'm just not feeling like I have to save everything because I'm kind of understanding why I always felt like I had to save everything. And I got some insights into that and it's helping. Well, that's the kind of mind renewal that God wants to do for us in every area. He wants to turn the light on for us so, so we're not functioning in the dark, but we really get it. And, and as he changes us from within, it's not a laborious, you know, brutal kind of, I'm going to force you to be what you're not. He actually redefines us from inside. As he rebuilds who we are, as he heals all of those hurts that are in our life that are causing us to be more and more self-destructive. We experience his grace. He takes the pressure off. And he can actually take our mind and change the way we think. Now, I know everybody in here who has problems. And you fought against them. And just think of it this way. People who are close to you in your life, your loved ones, your spouse, whoever, the problems that you consistently have, You've tried to not do it. You've tried to stop. You've tried to change. But it seems like we always fall back into our same patterns because our mind hasn't been transformed. But when we are really willing to get serious with God and put our body on the altar and say, I, I will give you permission to do whatever you want to do. I'll go along with it. It's amazing how he gets inside our mind. I've, I'm sure I've shared with most of you before, when I became a Christian, I knew all about the Bible and God. I had studied the Bible since I was literally two years old. And, but I wasn't living, I wasn't walking with the Lord at all. And I was in a, a camp service and John MacArthur was speaking and he gave an altar call, and it was right. I slept through the whole service, and right when I woke up, everybody's walking forward, and I thought they were leaving, so I got in line, and I accidentally went up in an altar call, and there I am. I'm in the prayer room. I'm like, oh boy, how am I going to get out of here? Bottom line is, short story is, God spoke to me while I was there, and He said, Dave, it's now or never. Either you accept me now or you'll never be able to accept me. 
and I didn't even want anybody to know, and I didn't want to be one of these camp conversions. So I said to, I mean, you've seen those. Um, <laughs> think about somebody their first week on Weight Watchers. But, <laughs> but so I said, God, and I meant it. I, I totally meant it. I, I said, God, if you want my life, and if you want to change me, I am as sincere as I could possibly be right now. I'm willing for you to do that. But I am not going to change a thing. I'm not going to quit breaking into houses. I'm not going to quit stealing cars. I'm not going to quit being mean. I'm not going to quit seeing how many commandments I can break in a single day. I'm just going to be the same. So I'm just warning you. And I'm not going to tell anybody that I got saved. But really, if you, if you want to do it, go ahead. I mean, I, I don't recommend that. That's not like, that's not the sinner's prayer that I lead people in. But God turned my life around in an amazing way. And after a couple weeks, I finally had to start admitting it. And you know, it was not at all me trying to do it. I just... Something clicked in my head, and I just didn't want to do the things I was doing. And even I'm hanging out with my friends, and we're passing a joint around, and everybody's taking a hit off of it, and they gave it to me, and I just passed it on, and I thought, hmm, that was weird. You know, but that's what God wants to do, and he doesn't need the faith of a grain of mustard seed will usually do the trick. But it's so key to come to him and just sincerely give him permission to make a change in your life. And if you do that from your heart, I know, and, and I don't want to oversimplify it or anything, my experience at that point, and I've had different struggles in my life, but my experience at that point was all God really wanted was for me to say, okay, I give you permission. And man, you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And a lot happened. You know, and you may go, come on, Dave, you're not that great now. And, you, you know, <laughs> you've been saved for 40 years. Uh, yeah, you should have you known me before. <laughs> Talk to Don DeGroote, he'll tell you, no, really, really, I really did change. And, but see, that's what God wants to do for all of us. But what do you do? You present your body as a living sacrifice. You have to mean it. You have to sincerely be willing to do what he wants you to do to let him do that work in your life. And it starts then with him changing your head, changing your mind. Are you willing to give up your old way of thinking? Are you willing to stop defending the excuses that you've been making for why you are the way you are? As long as you excuse yourself for what you're doing, and I know people who, <laughs> their life is so messed up, and the solution is so simple, but they just cannot admit the simple fact that this is the, their choice. This is the way they're choosing to live. But allowing God to do that transformation is an amazing thing because it doesn't involve a ton of effort. God doesn't want us to... He, 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 said, he even talks about in giving. Don't do it grudgingly or of necessity. And he doesn't want you to obey grudgingly or of necessity. 
He doesn't need your help. He wants to help you. And if you let him, he can begin that transformation. But you have to be open to a different way of thinking. You have to be open to him actually doing that transformation. And for some people, that's just too scary to take on. Because, you know, for all of us, when you start talking about the mind, we got stuff in there that we're, we just don't want to go there. We have memories and experiences and fears and insecurities. And, and as a result, the thought of standing naked before God and letting him have access to all that, for some people, that's just too much to take. We're afraid to really face and to admit who we really are. And so the choice that we make is to jump back off the altar and to say, I'm going to keep my, you know, my mind the way it is. I'd rather be sick in my head than to risk the humility of seeing myself for who I really am, seeing myself what I would be apart from, apart from God. And so we sit there and protect and guard that which is destroying us. And Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want God's will? You'll find it. He says, let me do this and I'll prove it to you. The only way that you will ever, for an extended period of time, follow the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is if you will allow yourself to be vulnerable before him if you will sincerely and honestly lay yourself on that altar and really give him permission to work you over no matter what it means, no matter how much it might hurt, no matter what you might have to let go of in your life, no matter what it may lead you to become, that's the only way you're going to find his will. Or you can just keep trying to be legalistic and taking pride in the fact that your willpower has helped you to you know, break one habit, trade it for another. You know, and you can, you know, if you want, you can go, yeah, it's great, man. I quit smoking and gained 30 pounds. Okay, fine. You know, if, that, if you want to live your life with just trade-offs, but if you really want a divine makeover, it's opening yourself up to him, everything that he wants to do. And he really can do this. He can transform and renew your mind. Now, I'm not saying that if you go to him tonight and say, I want you to do this, that tomorrow you're going to wake up and everything's going to be fine. This is a lifelong process. This is something that we need to do on a daily basis. But it works. It really does. And, and it's the only thing that works. Nothing else. No other gimmick. You know, yeah, you know, I, I'd love it if you could just sit there and watch Oprah every day and your life was going to change, but it's really not. She can't fix her own life. You know, I'd love it if, you know, just dumping tons of money on counselors and having them tell you to stop it, you know, would fix things and, you know, but obviously, you know, that's not going to fix you. 
Some peop- enough people have tried it. All you have to do is see the people who have gone down that path. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that. If God leads you to sit down with somebody and get some counseling, that might be a good thing. But, but really, all that really works is you have got to and I have got to let God get into our head. Let him get in there. And that is a scary thing. But the only thing scarier is that we just keep living the way we're living and, you know, be defeated. When we get to the point where we go, I am afraid of finding out that this is the best that it ever gets. I'm afraid that this is all life has to offer me. (laughs) That ought to scare you. Because it's not true. God has so much more. He can go so much deeper with you. He can, he can touch you and help you and heal you in ways that you can't imagine. Your life can be so much better than it is. But you have to let him in your head in order for it to happen. And he says that's acceptable and holy. That's special. That's, that's exactly what he's wanting to do. Two verses, huh? I was going to finish this chapter. <laughs> Maybe I'll just read it really fast. <laughs> ah, we still have 13 minutes. Verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. <laughs> as he talks about renewing your mind, he says, it's going to be humbling. Because you've been able to function by convincing yourself good things about you. And that's why most of us think that we really mean well. The ugly truth is a whole lot of times we don't mean well. We're just pretending like it. And, and so if he's going to get in our head and really work on us, then we have to come to the point where we're willing to accept responsibility for what we've done to our life, to the way that we've been living. And so he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Just realize it's not all about you. The world's not going to fall apart if you, know, you shut down for a while. You take a break. You stop frantically trying to do everything that you're doing. It really isn't depending on you. It's so funny the way we think that, you know, and we have all this pressure on us, like so many people are depending on me. No, they're not. The truth is, everybody who's depending on you would find somebody else to do what you're doing for them if you weren't doing it. You know, you. somebody said, if you want to see how significant you are then put your finger in a bucket of water then pull it out and look at the hole that it leaves (laughs) and you go no wait a minute this isn't good man joel osteen just had me feeling pretty good about myself (laughs) just this morning (laughs) but building yourself up and puffing yourself up and fooling yourself that you're better than you are all that does is put pressure on you it's not good for you. It's not, it's not necessary. 
It's, it's a part of our self-destructiveness, really, is thinking that we matter so much. And in fact, think about the times that you've been hurt the most. Think about the, the, the most damaging experiences that you've had in your life. Wasn't it because you felt like you deserved better? Somebody disrespected you? Most, most murders, most violent crime happens because somebody's disrespected. I mean... If we would take ourselves lighter, and when someone treats us with disrespect, we just go, eh, it's no big deal. Believe me, I've said worse things about myself. You know? Somebody's just insulting you and trying to make you feel bad, and you're going, you know, I know, you're right, but God has a really high opinion of me. Really don't worry too much about what other people think of me. It's when we inflate our own sense of self-importance that ultimately we ruin our lives. It's interesting, when they test people for self-esteem, you know which group always consistently tests through the roof on self-esteem? Prisoners. You go to the jails and you give them self-esteem tests, man, those are some of the most confident people in the world about their own value. That's why most of them are in there and they still can't even figure out what they did wrong. They all have an excuse. They all, you know, they all you know, swear they're innocent or they're misunderstood. They didn't get good representation or whatever. Again, it's a sign of somebody who just doesn't learn, who just doesn't get it. And having a great inflated sense of your own importance is not going to get you anywhere. And you know, the cool thing is, it's not necessary. It's not necessary for happiness. It's only when I'm worried about what people think of me that I then become victims of what they think of me. And I'm totally crushed when they don't think as highly of me as I want them to think. If, if I am going to live or die based on what any of you think of me, then I'm taking my own heart out and handing it to you. And I'm, I'm giving you a, a joystick and saying, here, you can have control of my life. Because whatever you think of me is what I think of me. And why should we let other people control us? There are some of you who are absolutely crippled. Sorry, that's a probably a term we're not supposed to use anymore. Uh, who, there are some people who are severely restrictive in their capacities to perform normal living functions because, <laughs> because of something that somebody said or did 20 years ago. That person doesn't even remember who you are anymore. They don't care one bit. And here you are still letting them control your life by thinking that what they said about you or what they, the way they treated you, that that defines you. And at some point, you just got to go, get over it. Get over yourself. Don't, see, trusting God says that I am a sacrifice. <laughs> I'm going to give up myself. In baseball, they have the sacrifice bunt. It means I expect to get out, 
but I'm going to lay one down so that another runner can advance around the bases, so that hopefully the team wins. It's a very admirable thing to do in a sport, and it's admirable in life. It's what Jesus Christ did for us. It's the only reason we have any hope, is that he laid his life on the line as a sacrifice. Now, in order to do that, he had to decide to allow himself to be completely humiliated. He had to put himself to shame. And although, and in Hebrews 12, remember where it says, you know, um, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He, he despised the shame. He, he didn't want to be treated shamefully, but that was what he needed to do in order to accomplish what he came here to accomplish. And again, I, there's nothing within us that goes, ooh, I want to be a sacrifice. Yeah, pick me, kill me. But that's the path to get where we're going. And so a part of that is, as, as Paul pointed out in, over in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right before that, in the same chapter, Paul says, esteem others higher than yourself. You know, it's take yourself off your pedestal. Don't be so fragile. Don't be such a baby. You know, put your big boy pants on and, and just, you know, deal with life. And, and, you know, that's what Paul's trying to get through to us here is that, you know, I know that you're desperately clinging on to some sense of esteem that you have for yourself and that you believe other people somehow have for you. Give that up. Let go of that. It's okay. You're going to find out. And when you stop hanging on to that, blessings are going to flow in amazing ways in your life, but it won't happen because you needed it to happen. It happens because God is good and he wants to give you gifts. And in the section now that, that we enter into, he begins to talk about the spiritual gifts, about the fact that he has a place for you. But in order for you to find that place, you have to decide that you'll do anything, and therefore you have to decide what's important isn't what's good for me. What's important is, God, what's good for you? What's good for the body of Christ? What's good for all of us together? I may need to take an inferior position. I may need to take a lower seat if that's what's going to be best for everyone else. And you're going to find out that being in the, the lowest place in the body of Christ is better than any achievement that you could ever find apart from him more fulfilling, more rewarding. You know, you, NBA championships start tomorrow, and somebody is going to be the world's champions. And I guarantee you that a guy on the winning team's bench is not, if he doesn't even play a minute, if he just gets to go out there and help the rest of the team warm up, when he has that championship ring, he's not going to say, man, I could have probably been the star of the Clippers. Nobody wants to be a Clipper. 
People want to win. People want fulfillment. And they'd rather be on the bench of either the Orlando or, or of the Lakers and to be there and to win a championship and to go, I am a part of something that's always going to be engraved somewhere and they're all going to know that I was a part of that team. I'll wear that ring. And that's the body of Christ. When we will allow ourselves, when we get over ourselves enough to not be so frail, to not be so sensitive, to lay ourselves and go, okay, you know, I'm afraid nobody's looking out for me. Well, you're a sacrifice. So go for it and trust God. And as he begins to renew our minds, then we start to find out, you know, in that humility, in that sense of being willing to give myself, I am discovering that I'm a part of something amazing. I'm a part of something huge. It's so worthwhile. It's, I'm going to go, this is what I was born to do. For this I was born, and for this came I into the world. And so as we get later into talking about the spiritual gifts and things like that here in the, in the chapter as it unfolds, it's all following the same plan that he is giving us as to how to turn your life around, how to stop ruining your life, how to instead find a place where you can live, where your head can clear, where life makes sense, where you're a part of something worthwhile and yet there's no pressure on you. You're not the one at the free throw line with the game on the line. You're just enjoying the game. You're just enjoying being a part of it. Ultimately, Jesus is Kobe. If he gets his 40 points, we're winning the championship. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what some of these other guys are going to do. And that's us, man. We're on a team with one champion, one superstar, really. But we get that experience. We get that fulfillment of finding our place in life. And it's a place without pressure. It's a place of transformation. It's a place of great fulfillment, of looking at your life and going, I'm glad for the day when things turned around for me. And I just laid my life on the line as a sacrifice, and I let him start renewing me. And it was the best decision that I ever made. Well, we'll continue this discussion in two weeks. Um, this next Wednesday, um, Pastor Ken's going to speak. Um, Steve Bailey and I are going to be suffering for the Lord, um, riding our motorcycles around the, in the Sierras. So... Well, yeah, we probably won't be thinking of you, but <laughs> at some point during the four days, I'm sure you'll come to our minds and we'll pray for you, but I'll see you uh, on Sunday and then on the, I'll be here this Sunday and then the, the following Wednesday, we'll jump back into Romans and get into more of the details of this life that Paul had spent the first 11 chapters to get us to this point where he's going, here's how it works. So God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you later.